Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin. Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us each week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Danielle Caligari and Jeff Porter to the Italian Wine Podcast. They both joined the Wine Enthusiast Tasting Team for Italy last year. Danielle reviews wines from Tuscany and South, and Jeff reviews wines from Umbria and North. Thank you both for being on the show today. It's great to have you both here. Thank you for having us. Pleasure to be here. This is the first time I have two people on on the podcast with me, so it's very exciting. We're really just one unit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, it's great to have you both here. We're going to talk all things wine enthusiasts about your roles, uh, about Italian wine and the category at at wine enthusiasts specifically. But before we dive into today's discussion, let's just start with some general intros and tell us a little bit about your journeys and how you ended up being Italian wine critics with wine enthusiasts. So Danielle, let's start with you. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I began my journey in the least obvious way, I think, for this kind of industry, uh, which is with a PhD in medieval Italian literature. Uh, I took an academic route straight through and expected to work in a university, which I now do at Dartmouth College. I teach uh, I teach Italian literature, but I also uh, studied food and beverage studies and got serious about wine along the way and eventually um, got contacted by wine enthusiasts to take over some Italian regions. And I asked uh, for the South because of my love of the South and Tuscany because of my years spent living there in Florence, and here I am. Amazing. Yeah, that is definitely a less expected route, but very interesting nonetheless. And Jeff, how about you? I have a little more uh, wine, wine-centered wine route because I got involved in wine uh, super early on in my life uh, when I was 19 years old working at a restaurant uh, as a dishwasher and then cook. And um, it blossomed from there. I, I it was a big hobby of mine. And then as I got older and, and started working in wine retail, it just turned into something that was tangible and, and financially stable. And I became a sommelier and then traveled the United States, uh, being a som at different restaurants. And I got involved in a restaurant in Napa Valley called Trevina, which was like, you know, Cal Ital. And we had a lot of a strong, obviously Napa Valley list, but also a strong Italian list. And that's when I really became in love with Italian wine. And uh, I, I just felt so akin to it and kind of went from there and hopped around from restaurant to restaurant and then ended up here in New York and then running a restaurant called Del Posto and and then uh, just being so deep into Italian wine culture and, and history and passion. And uh, it evolved into one day getting a call from a wine enthusiast being like, hey, would you like to write about Northern Italy? And I was like, a hundred absolute percent. And here we are today. 
Amazing. And I think you both bring really different backgrounds, right? That I imagine balance each other out quite nicely between the academic and then the restaurant that, you know, on premise. So it seems like it, it's a good mix. Am I right? It's like the doctor and the beast, you know, Danielle's the smart one <laughs> and I'm just like the, the, the hammer. <laughs> as much as brute strength is required when it comes to wine tasting, I would say that Jeff brings a lifetime of expertise that we would probably miss if you weren't around. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So Danielle and Jeff, today we're going to talk about the process for scoring Italian wines at Wine Enthusiasts. And you know, your, both of your experiences at the publication since you joined just about a year ago. So our three key takeaways for today's masterclass and what we're really excited to talk to you both about are number one, the process of how wines are rated at Wine Enthusiasts. I know that might sound basic, but for our listeners, we like to give real clear, tangible lessons from each episode. And I think it's a really important one as we know, scores and, and ratings in the U.S. Are, are so critical. Number two, trends in Italian wine among wine enthusiast readers. And number three, how wine enthusiasts is bringing the Italian wine category to life for U.S. consumers. So uh, let's dive right in. You know, wine enthusiasts is rating over 25,000 wines every year. Danielle, can you tell us how many of those wines rated are from Italy? Uh, I, we would have to check the database to date, but I'm pretty sure that Jeff and I get through somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 bottles a year. Um, so we represent the largest dedicated national area of wines that the magazine covers. Uh, probably California and France are the other uh, kind of comparable areas um, in terms of coverage. And I think we're both actually always adding more. So the number will only go up in the coming year. Wow, that's incredible. And Jeff and, and Danielle as well, just walk us through a little bit the process of how those 2,500 wines plus are, are rated for wine enthusiasts by both of you. So I think this is a, a good time because actually we're working on 2024 right now. So the editorial team um, sends us, you know, hey, these, these are the stories we're, we're looking to pursue. And then we create uh, a calendar for 2024 that we then send out to the world and being like, hey, this is when we want to taste certain wines. And sometimes they align uh, with editorial. And sometimes it's just we, we know that the wines are released at a certain date. And we want to mm -hmm. make sure the, the readers get that access to information when the wines drop uh, so they can act before the, the wines get all gobbled up. Um, and right. so then people send wines to the office. Um, and then Danielle and I know nothing because uh, the, the one thing that I think separates wine enthusiasts from a lot of other review um, sites and print publications is we review blind. And I, it's, uh, for me, I, I call it a single blind versus a double blind because we'll set up a tasting day and we have a whole team. And these are like the heroes, the unsung heroes of wine enthusiast is this crew of people that receive all this wine, put it in the database, catalog it all. And then we just, you know, flow in like dilettantes, um, <laughs> you know, they line up the wines for us and then we just sit down and we, we start tasting. And um, what, what they do is they organize it into, into flights that are, that are like, so like the, the this past week I've been tasting only Sagrantina de Montefalco and so when I sit down, I know, I know that it's Sagrantina de Montefalco and I know it's from this vintage and that's all I know. Okay. And then I write my notes, I do my scores 
and then uh, I'm told what the wines are and I'm like, wow, that's really exciting. And sometimes there's like big surprises, and big shockers. And mm. that's the exciting thing of tasting a blind because we take out certain prejudices. Uh, we have to know the grape because we want to score it on a kind of, uh, in my head, I have a rubric and a pedological idea of what a certain varietal or region kind of has a range of. And, right. and that's, mm-hmm. I think, where, where the the subjectivity of the, the reviewer themselves comes into play, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the, the cool thing is by having it blind, we really take out, um, you know, that any preconceived notion, um, and which is exciting. Again, you, you get surprises. And the beauty of it is, as for, for me, for being in the wine business for over 20 years, is to see the evolution of producers and producers that maybe 15 years ago, I was like, ho-hum on. And then all of a sudden I taste these wines blind and I'm like writing like a, an 800 word essay about the wine, which is only supposed to be 45 words. Um, (laughs) and, uh, giving it like 98 points and being, being super impressed. And then I call them and be like, Hey, let's talk about what's the change. And that, that leads to editorial ideas that I then pitch to the magazine. So hopefully that was a, a decent enough answer. No, that that was great. And I think really helpful to understand the blind process. So all the wines are tasted at the wine enthusiast offices in uh, New York and Westchester, just outside New York City, correct? Correct. You're never tasting anything on site with a producer, because I think that's sometimes a misconception, right? Like, oh, I want the critic to come here and taste my wine and score it. But are you ever scoring anything in Italy or with a producer? We only score at the office. I think, I mean, I can speak for myself and I, I know Danielle does. We go visit the producers so we can know what they're doing. We talk to them, we create story ideas. Um, you know, I earlier in the year, I wrote kind of a, a vintage report and nothing was scored per se, but I give my impression. And that's that's kind of what we, we use from those interactions. But the hardcore scoring of it happens, you know, in this chilly room that I have to like, even the dead of summer, I'm wearing like a, it's a <laughs> cellar temperature. I wear like a jumper or sweater and uh, we taste the wines blind and uh, it's an exciting process. Yeah, I bet. And it sounds like, you know, there's, you, you want to know the, the varietal for typicity and, and that part of it. But Danielle, talk to us a little bit about when you both started. Is there a way in which your palates are calibrated for the wine enthusiast rating system? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. As Jeff was mentioning, when it comes to our day-to-day tasting, we're tasting in categories. So you have to have some kind of parameters of expectations. And that's why you can have something that's maybe um, crafted in a very different way with a very different price point and market share in mind that's scoring similarly to you know something um, in a different lineup because... Uh, there, we're, we're thinking about how it's performing according to expectation. Is it expressing that grape in the right way? Is it doing something exciting with the tools that it has at its disposal? And so that's what we're uh, trying to align uh, between ourselves all the time. You know, do we agree in terms of um, broad strokes that this is what we're looking for in this class of wines or this region right now? or this style of production. And uh, there are some uh, ways that we do that that you would expect. So, uh, we uh, trade wines and taste and give our impressions to each other. Um, we taste together 
in other settings, just drinking wine together and talking more about it. We keep each other updated on what we're both seeing when we're in Italy. As Jeff mentioned, um, he and I both uh, visit Italy very, very frequently. I think both of us go, um, it seems like on average, about once a month, if not more often. And we are on the ground talking to producers, um, talking to people in the industry, and just informing ourselves so that when we get to our wines, we're both working with a lot of context, even if we're um, facing the wines, the individual wines blindly. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, once a month to Italy doesn't sound too bad. I know, Jeff, you mentioned you're just you're heading over there today, correct? Today, correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm flying over. But this is this is exciting. It's it's purely vacation. Okay. My, my wife, <laughs> daughter, and I know. I mean, I'll. Okay, I say I, I still say it's. Pr- I, I have three appointments set up. <laughs> Only that's, three. Um, that that's that's that is a vacation. Normally, if I do like a like a week in a region, I'll do like five visits a day. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a lot. It pushes it, but um, yeah, yeah I, I love going to Italy. Amazing. So. Well, vacation sounds great. I'm the right time of year for it, of course. So, uh, question for both of you. You know, ratings, scores been a lot of conversation in recent years, like what do these numbers mean for the you know younger consumer, especially, but for the American wine consumer, how much are scores used? How much do consumers care about scores? So uh, for both of you, what do you think wine scores mean for, for wine enthusiasts? And, and what do you think the wine enthusiast readers should take away from these the numerical score, but also your review? And uh, Danielle, let's start with you. Well, I think scores are a shorthand and it makes sense for the average consumer to have a point of reference that's legible and accessible. And so I like the the fact that everybody can understand a score in that kind of um, immediate abstract way. It, you know, it functions in, in any context. We all, we, we all know how to use that measure in. Um, but I think that, and I, I have a feeling that Jeff would agree um, for us, you know, we see a lot of wines that maybe don't have as uh, the highest scores that we can give out, but that are performing really well within class. And I think that our the, the language in our reviews is something that both of us take a lot of care and time for, because we want people to understand that something that's an 88 might be an incredibly good wine at its price point, and that's the uh, a great value, um, and that is a great introduction to that wine. That might then be an opportunity for someone to uh, become familiar with that style, and then later on maybe invest a little bit more for a wine that would naturally be scoring higher, but that they can then appreciate and feel more confident right. about their purchase. Okay. Jeff, how about you? I mean, that's why we have a PhD on staff. I mean, that definition <laughs> and explanation is, is perfect. I mean, that's exactly what it's for. And it's it's just like, I mean, I think people need to look at ratings, you know, kind of like how, how I look at, uh, let's say, like restaurant reviews. You, you, you may see a two-star, but you, they'll say, I, I mean, coming from the restaurant industry, they'll be like, Oh, it's a two-star review, but it reads like a three-star, right? Right. And and it's important to to read the review because let's say you're doing, I don't know, we'll take like Bulgari for instance, and and if a wine that retails for like 
$15 has like an 89 or an 88 in that category, that's an awesome bottle of wine because you have to, you have to look at like the, the, the wine that's what, like, you know, like 98 points of like a, a super high end wine that, that has a lot of pedigree. And I, I right. think what I'm hoping readers get from it is that, um, you know, we're also, since we do things in their class, like I recently did a bunch of Lambrusco and I gave, a, I gave a few Lambruscos 96 points because they blew me away and they're, it's not apples to, it's not, you know, apples to oranges. I'm not comparing Lambrusco to Barolo or Lambrusco to Amarone, Lambrusco to Lambrusco, right? So like right. within that, that category, these wines are the top of their class and, and, and people need to kind of maybe associate like why we taste that way because, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a difference, uh, between winemaking styles, varietals, obviously, yeah. uh, that that's really important to distinguish. And I think over the years we've seen Italy become so much more regionalized, right? In the way that Americans are drinking, it's not just Chianti anymore. There's obviously so many regions that have emerged uh, and there's so much more need for education now to explain these various regions and wines to the consumer. So uh, I like that approach that you're taking about, it's not about comparing within regions to one another, but rather really treating each region or category specifically and intentionally. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And um, Danielle, I agree with you. I think the cues of the scores are, are vital. I always talk about, like, I walk into Sephora and freak out because I don't know what to do. And that must feel like what a consumer might feel like going into a total wine. Like, it's just the number of choices can be overwhelming. And a score or a rating is an indicator, right, of, of quality, something that can help you decipher the thousands of options that are in front of you. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at wine2wine.net. So um, speaking of regions, it sounds like we have a little of that classic, you know, north-south divide between your respective tasting beats, um, but would love to hear a little bit more from each of you about what you're really excited about these days from your respective beats. So Jeff, uh, let's start with you. You're about to visit the north and talk to us a little bit about what's exciting you there these days. Oh man, I don't think we have enough time. I like, I, I, <laughs> and I'll speak for Danielle on this because we, we recently wrote uh, an intro to the buying guide of the Italian wine issue about why Italy as a whole is one of the most interesting wine regions or wine countries in the world. And, and I always like to say it's the, the newest, oldest wine producing region in the world because so much is happening. It's every region is, is exciting. Every, every producer is pushing themselves. There's, there's this renaissance uh, I'm seeing um, across the board, across regions that is making the, the most classic wines take Gianni Classico, for exa example, or Valpolicella or, or, or within, within Barolo to be e extremely exciting and interesting. And then you look at, um, I'm going to Valdeosas, the last region in my, my, my journey through Italy. I've never been, and I'm going on this trip and going to try, you know, a bunch of Prie Blanc, uh, in, in Morget and the, the Alpine wines. I don't know. I mean, everything is exciting. I, I think Italy is where it's at. And I think everybody should just, you know, just be so excited. Like I think Danielle and I are for, for what's, what's happening. Um, and, and 
there's more stories to tell. And that's, I think both of us are searching um, because it's happening again, again, in the classic wine regions and these unsung regions that are just getting noticed today. Um, but the, mm-hmm. the, the interest from the consumer and the excitement that I'm seeing versus like even just 10 years ago, the, the, the youthful generation and the younger, younger wine drinkers want story, want connection to a place and want to feel, you know, like a, a, an explorer. They want to discover. And so they're not afraid mm-hmm. of grapes that are hard to say. Whereas like 10 years ago, if, uh, you know, for me trying to sell, you know, a, a Falangina or Catacante was, was a challenge. Right. Right. That's super interesting. Well, that's exciting. You sound very excited, Jeff. So I can feel the enthusiasm through the headphones. <laughs> and Danielle, how about you in the South? What's been super interesting or exciting for you recently? Yeah, as Jeff said, I think I'd pick up one uh, piece of, of what he was pointing to in particular for the South, which is that um, and and for Tuscany, uh, which I, I have a little bit of an unbalanced sheet there because Tuscany um, <laughs> obviously um, not competing in the same way as some as places like Molise or, or right. Prada, right? Um, but um, I think uh, the thing that maybe stands out to me the most is that areas that have long been appreciated are making changes to improve quality and to be more exciting and to deliver more quality and to make the most of their terroir and the expression of their grapes. And while also areas that have not been greatly appreciated are beginning to excel and to find traction and visibility. And so that means that, you know, Jeff's enthusiasm is fueled by the fact that it isn't everywhere you turn. So if I think most people who are passionate about wine, the thread that ties them together is that they love the infinite possibility for learning new things. Like there's no there's no conquering all wine. You'll never know everything about it. It's a, that's impossible, right? And and Italy, in Italian, there's a great uh, term called uh, a terra sterminata, um, which is um, a, a way of saying an infinite landscape that you can uh, explore forever to come up with a uh, you know a, a new and exciting thing to see every single day and that's what it feels like it really does the south is just so undiscovered yet that it's incredible that um you, you know the amount of time that i've dedicated doing graduate work on this you know to this country and this culture and i still every single time i'm there learn something that completely blindsides me not just that i didn't really know about but that is truly stunning information to me and it's just you know it really it keeps you going it gives you energy that's amazing can you mention anything specific or one of those recent discoveries that was so astonishing to you i would say uh on my recent trip to sicily I spent time in the dead center of the island at Regaliali, which is a, a big, well-known historic property. And I had actually already been there, but I still went driving around in a Jeep with Corrado and visited some of their um, farther reaching vineyards and harder to access pieces of land and saw one, one particular memory I have is this place where the soil changes 
immediately next to each other is visible sand, like surface sand against clay. And it was the hardest line in the, at the, in the middle of a, of a vineyard that I've ever seen of just complete transformation of the terroir. And it was, it was something that just, you know, changed the way that I thought about how a vineyard could perform. Amazing. And, you know, Jeff, question for you, just coming from the, the restaurant side of things, how do you think distribution and access to these wines is keeping up with the level of discovery that you're both so passionate about? I mean, there's, there's so many great wines coming from smaller producers, lesser known regions. Do you think distribution in the United States is, is keeping up and, and bringing these wines to the market for consumers to, to find? I, you know, it's, it's changed rapidly and fast, specifically post COVID. Um, more, there are more small importers popping up across the United States. I was recently in Nashville and, you know, Nashville is a market that a lot of people, you know, they know it's, it's popular. It's become a place to like go and, and, and party and stuff, but the restaurant scene's taken off there and they want the same wines that are found in New York city or San Francisco. And the importers are obliging. Like I'm seeing really cool lists in places that you wouldn't think, uh, Atlanta, Charleston, uh, North Carolina, Denver, Minneapolis. Um, and, and the consumer wants that. So, I mean, this is one thing I always talk, talk about to producers themselves is don't just rely on New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, and, uh, Chicago is those aren't right. the only markets in the United States and the consumers are diverse and spread out across the U S and want the, the wines and people are starting to live to deliver on that. And that, I think that's again, a, a boon for the, the consumer here in the U S is, is, is more these small itty bitty producers mm-hmm. and also larger producers, um, who may have originally been with, um, you know, kind of legacy importers or legacy um, distributors are reanalyzing their strategy and working with the their historic importers or producers or making a change to to kind of create a better you know um, better diffusion of their wine throughout the U.S. market, uh, which I think is also important because uh, you know there's there's this there's this big mass migration kind of all right. the time here in the states of people from different mm-hmm. cities cross pollinating and, and creating new new restaurants and new retail Definitely. stores and and I think it's just going to be so much better and that that helps us I think as wine enthusiasts because we're seeking out wines across the spectrum from itty bitty one hectare to 500 mm-hmm. hectares and, and showing the consumer what's available to them and why they should drink it. that's exciting and it sounds like as much as there is to explore in Italy there's some exploration for these Italian producers to do when, when they come to the U S and finding these, you know, itty bitty towns, maybe in Kansas or Oklahoma, or I don't know, the world between California and New York is, is vague for me, but <laughs> I know there's a lot in between. I mean, um, I think you're seeing some of the most interesting wine lists, not in New York and not in LA and not in San Francisco. My, that's my yeah. hot take is that, there's there's really cool things happening uh, throughout the country that's exciting. Um, that that aren't in our current backyard. I mean, I think there's super cool things, obviously, in all these cities, but the the, the price quality ratio specifically in like places like Texas or Charleston mm-hmm. or Nashville is super high because the the cost of doing business there is so much less. 
Right. We might have to dive into this in another episode, Jeff. I'll, I'll follow up with you. So July was the Italy issue for wine enthusiasts. Danielle, talk to us a little bit about that issue, the overall approach, um, and some of the things that you and Jeff covered and, and wrote about for that that issue. Yeah, Jeff and I, I think uh, we've already expressed, uh, got a chance in this issue to just tell everyone the things that we've been telling you in the course of this podcast, which is that there is no limit to the amount of excitement and intrigue you can find in Italian wine right now. And the deals are just absolutely screaming still, because at the end of the day, even the really high end and ultra conscientiously crafted wines are still coming in at price points that are more affordable than their peers in uh, in other in other regions. So we were really excited to have a, a platform to um, to to say all of that to our readers and to put that against the uh, specific bottles that we've been scoring and show them here are the wines that are doing exactly what we're saying. And please look out for them and enjoy them and take advantage while you still can. And Jeff, how about for you? What was particularly exciting for you in this issue? I had a a, a piece, you know, and, and I'm new to writing, right? Like I, I you know, mm-hmm. you know, Danielle has been writing for her entire professional career. And it, it's exciting to to finally have this this place versus a wine list where it's a, it's obscure, where you, you get to have some sort of um, influence in the direction of what people are drinking, but to to really highlight something like Lambrusco that I love and this this idea of going back in time to this, this process called rifermentato uh, and, and seeing more producers and interviewing them and, and having this direct connection and these like these these beautiful exchanges and then condensing that all down into an article um, I think is it was so exciting and, and to see it in print and see the pictures and what the editorial team does and how Lambrusco and, you know, what we're all, what, what we're writing about in general uh, reaches the readers. It's just, it, it really, it's, it's like a pinch me moment uh, to see that finally, like after years of doing this, there's maybe someone that might listen. <laughs> Lots of people that might listen. I mean, all the, all the wine enthusiast readers, of course. So yeah, I, I thought it was a great issue. I think it was a nice balance between a lot of the lifestyle and the pizza pairings and great recipes, but you know, there's a whole feature story on Prier Blanc and you know diving into some maybe lesser known regions and wines and more in-depth stories was exciting to see. It was a great issue. Absolutely. So finally, we're coming to a close for today's episode. So we have to do our little rapid fire quiz where we will review the key takeaways from today's episode. So if you can both do your best to answer these questions in just a couple of sentences, that would be great. Uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. How do our listeners and producers get their wines rated by wine enthusiasts? They send them to our office. We taste them blind. And then Danielle and I go ham and taste a lot of wine and spend a lot of time thinking and, and writing and about, about the wines. Danielle, are wines ever scored in person or with the producer at their wineries or estates? No, we taste all of our wine blind on site at our offices in Valhalla, New York. I think that's a really important one. That's why I asked that again, because I think there's some confusion there. So I wanted to hammer that point home. Um, and finally, for both of you, 
one word to describe what is the most exciting thing to you right now in Italian wine. One word for both of us? Oh my God. I threw a curveball there. But... <laughs> okay. No, no. One word for either so of each us. Each of you can is, pick a word. Jeff, we'll start with you. <laughs> is uh, It's pretty challenging. D Danielle, you go first. <laughs> Neither one of us uses one word when a hundred would do. Um, uh, one word in Italian wine, um, uh, energy. Oh, damn it. Okay. I mean, you know, to be honest, like when you said it, the word Italy came into my head. Okay. That works. Perfect. I think it's one of those, just whatever pops in first. So love it. Energy and Italy together, you know, they work perfectly. Just like both of you as compliments and, and critics for one enthusiast. So thank you both so much for doing this with me today and being on the podcast. How can our listeners connect with each of you? They can find me on Instagram at Dr. Caligari's cabinet. And then on my wine enthusiast email address, dcaligari at wineenthusiast.net for information pertaining to our day-to-day -day tasting and other work at the office. For me, it's uh, on Instagram at Jeff Porter Wine, on TikTok at Jeff Porter Wine, and then for Wine Enthusiast, it's jporter at wineenthusiast.net. Fantastic. Thank you both so much again. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass U.S. Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.